fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. All right, it is. Hey, happy Monday to you. Welcome into the program. It is another week we are three weeks into January. Think about that. Let that settle in for just a second. Three weeks officially into the month of 2023. Oh, how the time flies. Welcome into the show. Happy Monday. Great to have you for the ride today. This is The Voice Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. Your Millennial General reporting for duty as we love you every single day. Big show. There is so much to talk about today. I have no clue how we're going to cram it in. I just got done filling in for Armed American Radio's Daily Defense with Mark Walters. If anybody listens to that program, uh, great talk show talking about Second Amendment issues. I filled in for him as he was traveling to the SHOT Show in Las Vegas today. And I had a laundry list of topics to get to with his program, and I got to like maybe 20% of it. I feel like this program is going to be the same way today. So <laughs> we'll do the best that we can. First off, happy Martin Luther King Day to you, which is where we kind of want to start with the show today. Obviously, I think the message of Martin Luther King needs to be resounded and needs to be focused on on what's going on in the world today because uh, there seems to be a lot of division. And I'm not going to run down the list of the history of the Democrat Party, the history of the Republican Party, the division, the identity politics that they play. But I have to ask, and especially those in the minority communities across the country, wherever you may be listening to the show or podcast or video or however you pay attention to us, which first off, thank you. But I ask you, for someone that's in a minority community, are you better or worse off under Democrat policies than what you were 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago? It's a very simple concept because the progressives who blame Republicans about being racist, who claim that we're divisive, who claim that we're Nazis, who claim that we're the uh, we're the dividing ones, we're the ones that don't care about certain groups of individuals, whether it's skin color, sexual orientation, whatever box they try to put us in. And you know how much I love talking about identity politics on this program. In Martin Luther King Day, we should go back to the message of the person that was actually talking at that time, right, on what he was actually trying to say and why he was not allowed to say that, which led to his unfortunate death and untimely death as he was trying to speak about peace and trying to speak about everybody getting along together. Now, the side that's been the party of slavery, been the party of the Jim Crow laws, been the party of divisiveness, they're the ones that say, in order to end this madness, we need to put people in deeper boxes about what they should believe, what they should feel, the way they should vote, how they should think about the world. We're going to put this, put them in this box and make them separate from other people that have different boxes. Again, of religion or skin color or whatever else, blah, blah, blah. Their idea of ending racism is by creating division and racism. I'm not quite sure how that works or why that actually happens, which is why we now have uh, the discussion between is the world and is the United States now a melting pot or is it a mosaic? Do we have fluidity between different cultures and religions and people in different communities? Or are we so fragmented that now we're more of a mosaic where we have a different color here, a different color over here, a different color over here, and now we're there together, but we're fragmented amongst each other because we're not fluid amongst one another? Something to think about. 
because the Democrats love, again, their their division based on ending division through division. You can see the universities where they're doing black-only campuses and dorm rooms. They're doing uh, 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 women versus men, which I guess I guess that makes sense in colleges, especially uh, with the dorm rooms there, especially. But when you try to create the identity politics, you create the box, and then you're supposed to think differently than the different box that's over there. That's exactly the opposite of what Martha, Martin Luther King actually spoke about during his time. There was a clip that I want to play, and it's about four minutes long. It's a little bit long here, but during my local program over the weekend here in the Wichita area where our flagship station is, I had one of our state representatives come in, Patrick Penn of the Wichita area, and his two sons, they're 11 and they're 8, had a school project, the 11-year-old, had a school project of presenting something to the class, and they tackled mimicking and memorizing the Martin Luther King speech of the I Have a Dream, a portion of it, not only with the speech itself, but the dialect and everything that went along with it. And it's a remarkable rendition of it on the importance of, I think, what we need to focus on today. And after hearing it on Saturday, I had to play it on the program today for Martin Luther King Day. And I think it's going to be kind of an annual thing for us because we need to remember exactly what was said then and whether the side that says they are the party of the minority and of Martin Luther King is actually holding up to that value. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered this speech at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. on August 28, 1963. He was was speaking to a huge crowd of people who had marched into Washington in support of civil rights legislation. I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream. That one day, this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners, Will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that every valley shall be exalted, that every hill and mountain shall be made low, The rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, We will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day. This will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning. (laughs) 
My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of the I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the gracious slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and molehill of Mississippi. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And when this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. There it is. I think it's kind of a resounding message to be sent today for Martin Luther King Day, and it really does resonate on which side is promoting that. And imagine that, if you will. Did you hear part of it? When we can work together when we can pray together, when we can live together, when we can go about our day together by not basing it on a skin color or based on the character of someone. It seems there's a vast contrast in policymaking between progressives who say, let's do identity politics, put people in a certain box, and conservatives that are saying, hey, we don't care. Just live your life. Now, I want to try and tie that into something that was presented, uh, when was this? Today, actually. And this, according to Fox News, Let's go out to the state of California, shall we, with our latest in What's Trending. What's Trending Today. So, state of California has been working on reparations, apparently, for a long time. For those in the minority community, apparently, are you looking for your mule and five acres? Which is what they said you were going to get when slavery ended. Because, you know, the government, when they try to give you something, there's always strings attached to it. For I don't know totally why, but progressives love to be able to have those strings attached to make sure that you always vote them back into power to continue to give you those things. There is a new proposal in San Francisco by the Reparations Committee. Why they even have such a thing blows my mind. But nonetheless, they have a Reparations Committee proposing $5 million to every black longtime resident, along with canceling any type of debt for the individual. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The proposal would give $5 million in granting total debt forgiveness due to decades of, quote, systematic repression faced by the local black community in San Francisco. Fox News reports that according to the San Francisco African-American Reparations Advisory Committee, the city's developing the plan for reparations for black residents released in its draft report uh, for not for slavery, since California was not technically a slave state. Wait, what? Hold on a second. There, It's reparations But it's not for slavery, so what is it for? It's not for that because California was not a slave state, but, quote, to address the public policies explicitly created to subjugate black people in San Francisco by upholding and expanding the intent and legacy of slavery. 
Quote, while neither San Francisco nor California formally adopted the institution of slavery, the tenets of segregation, white supremacy, and systematic repression and exclusion of black people were codified through legal and extra-legal actions, social codes, and judicial enforcement. End quote, according to the draft. Now, I want to respond by saying, in today's times, can we not identify as whatever we want to? What if everybody in California self-identified now as a longtime resident of African-American descent? Where's the qualifications, by the way, here? I, I mean, obviously, the draft is going to have some type of you have to live in the state for a certain amount of for so long that you have to be certain percentage of black or African-American. But good golly, five million dollars, a one time payment of five million dollars. Is that really going to solve the issue? Honestly, if you just hand someone five million dollars off the streets and you say, here you go. Sorry for all the tension that we've created for you. Sorry for all the division, all the struggle that we've created for you. Here's five million dollars. That is our way of saying we're sorry for what you've had to go through. Is that really going to solve an issue in any way, shape or form? It may solve your conscience, but it doesn't really solve anything. And by the way, I'm still curious about this whole systematic repression was there some yes but where does it end because there was systematic repression against you know especially in california the asian community when they were being forced as slaves to build the railroads across the nation the native americans that were in california as well how come they're not getting reparations and when will that lawsuit begin for them to be able to get certain reparations see the slippery slope here this is the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. By the way, I got to give a big shout out to uh, Jaden and Josiah, the two kids, 11 and 8 years old, who ended up doing that rendition, four-minute-long rendition of Martin Luther King's speech, I Have a Dream. I couldn't have memorized that at 8 years old so or 11 years old, so kudos to you guys. Hat tip off to you guys because you're amazing. And you know what, Papa? You're raising them right to be able to teach that and understand the real. It's uh, State Representative Patrick Penn here in my state here in the state of Kansas. Solid conservative guy, a firebrand up in our state legislature. We absolutely love him to death, and it's uh, he's the dad of those two, Jaden and Josiah, that was able to recite that speech. It really does drive it home. Again, the left needs to re-listen to something like that. They can't claim that they hold on to the power and control over the minority community when they're the ones doing exactly opposite of what that's saying. Well, they said to work together, to pray together, to judge someone based on their character, not based on their skin color. You're literally setting up division and mosaics in the country as opposed to the melting pot of you are a certain group, so therefore you have to stay within this box. Identity politics that has created the conquer and divide mentality for the left in this country is absolutely spiteful. Now we have reparations uh, being proposed in the city of San Francisco, California, of $5 million and to wipe away... You would think if you have debt that the five million dollars would just be able to pay off that debt but no they're going to give you five million dollars and wipe away all of your debt for the quote-unquote systematic repression that's been going on in california and the state of san francisco not necessarily for slavery because it wasn't a slave state nor a slave city but for the reparations i'm telling you if i remember correct and again i'm being a millennial being a little bit younger 
I was born, I'm going to age myself here, but I was born in 1988. I seem to remember based on the culture, based on the pop, you know, pop culture, based on the, you know, that 80s show and everything else that the 80s and 90s seemed to be a relatively good time after the civil rights movement where everybody was getting along. There was the crossing of cultures and the black community was able to create, uh, bring up some of their rap and hip hop into the mainstream. It started blowing up music and TV shows. And there was this blending of the cultures and everybody was happy hunky dory. Coincidentally, it was happening after the Ronald Reagan administration when conservatives took over and ended a lot of the division between the country after the civil rights movement. What a shocker. I could be wrong on that, and if I am, you can email me, network at gmail.com, but it seemed like the 80s and 90s seemed to be a great time for the cultures to be together and not worrying about this division and not worrying about racism and not worrying about the skin color of someone or what they look like in some way, shape, or form. Then... We got into the 90s and 2000s when Democrats started taking hold again, and all of a sudden we got to the Barack Obama era where we had Black Lives Matter and we had Antifun, we had all these other groups, and we had the woke industry come about to where even if you mentioned that in a movie or music, then it had to be censored. You couldn't get along, but instead you had to be divisive. You had to be separate. The separate but equal. That seems vaguely familiar as well, doesn't it? During the civil rights movement, separate but equal. That's what they're doing now. Oh, yeah, we're all equal. We're just going to want to go live on our own part over here and do our own thing. We don't want to be around other individuals. It seems like we've lost that fluidity. We've lost that melting pot style under the last you know, 10, 20 years in the, in the 2000s and in the late 90s and 2000s. We've lost that. When Democrats took control again and the woke mob who's apologizing for their whiteness and their masculinity in some way, shape, or form took over. Or at least they're the loud minority that's causing a lot of havoc within public schools and in populations in general. But when they came about, that's when division started happening again as the ones that say they want to end the identity politics and racism as well. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? It really makes you think. And it really thinks that the opposite effect that it's having compared to what they say they wanted, is it just a coincidence? Or was that really the true cause by the elites and by the establishment and by the higher-ups that say they wanted to end it, but they're still the ones that created it in the first place that wanted to continue on just under the false pretense that we're all getting along, holding hands, singing Kumbaya things to make it go hmm all right we got to take another break here when we come back we'll shift gears a little bit from that happy martin luther king day let's remember the real message and let's move forward together fighting the true issues in this country lots more this stay here the voice of reason with andy hoosier when reason meets radio this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the program here on a Monday. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that 5-pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time. That's what we're all about. Got a lot more to get to here. 
as we move through. Talking about opposite land, while the Democrats say they're about trying to bring everybody together in equality, remember, it's and they see it's equal outcome. It doesn't need to be equal outcome. It needs to be equal opportunity. And then what you put into it is what you sow at the end of the day. How much you actually tend to your garden is how much you're actually going to get rewards when you harvest at the end of the season. They don't like that. They just want to be able to put the seed in and just walk away and come back and be rich and fruitful at the end of it. And it just doesn't work that way. Again, the opposite land. While they say they actually care about you, you can see how much they really don't. At the same time, the Great Reset, I don't mean to be the Debbie Downer today for a Monday, but let's go into what's trending. What's trending today? What's trending today? Well, the Great Reset has officially begun, not to like concern anybody or anything, but the reset has begun. There was a headline on the national, uh, international reports globally of where the money went during the COVID-19 pandemic for the last three years, where the money's gone. The richest 1% of one individuals amassed almost two-thirds of new wealth created over the last two years, according to the study. Whoa! Whoa! Let's read that again. The richest 1% consumed two-thirds of all the new wealth that was created, according to the Oxfam study. Since 2020, the richest 1% of people have accumulated close to two-thirds of all new wealth created around the world, according to the report. Taxes according to some, must be increased for the ultra-rich as the, quote, strategic precondition to reducing inequality and res- uh, resuscitating democracy, according to Oxfam International. A total of $42 trillion in new wealth has been created since 2020, with $26 trillion, or 63% of that, being amassed by the top 1%. The remaining 99% collected just tw- uh, $16 trillion of new wealth uh, across the poverty line. So here's the question for you. While we have the richest 1% gaining two-thirds of all that money, where'd the rest of it go, and why did it all centralize in the top 1%, and what needs to be done to rectify that situation? Well, you can go one of two ways here, at least in my opinion. Number one is you can take the progressive left-wing liberal approach of saying, well, they're the evil ultra-rich, let's go ahead and attack them, redistribute their wealth, tax them at a lot higher rate, and then give us our reparations as the low income, because now we're going from the white-black issue to now the rich-poor issue. Another great uh, great dividing factor for the left-wing progressive Democrats who love to create uh, the divide-and-conquer mentality. Now we need to go this way and say, okay, no longer do we have the white-black, now we have the rich-poor. You're the evil rich. The top 1% gained all this money. We need reparations from them by the social programs to make take care of us and make sure that our programs are properly funded, to make sure that we get the benefits of these social programs because we are entitled to such. You need to pay your fair share. That's what we've heard. More socialism, more control. I mean, if you're going to take away from the top 1%, who's going to do that? The only people that can do that is the government. How are you going to give the government power to do that? Well, you're going to allow government to go in into private industry, into the private sector, into the individual or the corporation, and say, we now have more control over you to take your wealth, to tax your wealth, to redistribute it amongst other individuals and share it. The Robin Hood mentality, right? (laughs) Uh, except for if you read Robin Hood then you actually know that that's the opposite of what happened because Robin Hood was not stealing from the rich to give to the poor he was stealing from the government that was forcefully taking it away from people and giving it back to the people so sorry Bernie Sanders it doesn't quite work that way it is totally absurd I know but you are in fact you are fake news (laughs) so now 
we can go one of two ways. We can either go that route, which is, seems to be the ongoing case because that is the greatest and biggest, let's go ahead and hate other people, redistribution of wealth, if I can speak today, communism, socialism, because that's what it is. If you take over an industry, then you are essentially implementing. So they say they're implementing democracy, but how do you implement democracy when government goes into private industry and takes over that industry and takes their wealth away and caps what they're allowed to actually make? At the same time, what caused the rich 1% to gain two-thirds of all the wealth that was created over the last three years since 2020 of that roughly $42 trillion in global wealth? How did they create that? And why didn't it go to the lower 99%? Well, we got to break down what happened. It happened during the COVID-19 pandemic. It happened at a time when government told individuals to stay at home because, well, they were going to die from COVID-19. It happened at a time... When government said, you need to wear a mask in self-isolated home, and if you're in retail especially, if you're in hospitality especially, if you're in any type of customer service especially, you can't be working, so we're going to shut down your mom and pop small business. Take the United States for an example, where 98% of all GDP growth and revenue is created by private industry and not just private industry but small business small business being defined as a business that has less than 500 employees in the united states 98 percent of all the wealth and job growth in this country is based on small business but what industries were allowed to stay open the big box stores the walmarts the major conglomerates, the corporations that have places all over the place, you couldn't go into a small mom-and-pop business that could hold 20 people in there, but you could go to the Walmart where you're supposed to self-isolate and wear the stupid little self, you know, six-foot distance things and stand on the little uh, little square and the little arrow that says you're six feet apart from each other so you don't die from COVID. But you could go to that store where there's a 1,000 people in there. You just couldn't go to the small business that could hold 20, 30, 40 people. Because you would be contained in a small area and you would die from COVID-19. So while the top 1%, that's the corporation owners, not to be hating on them, they benefited from it, did they not? Because they were allowed to stay open. That was the essential business. You as the small business, or you maybe as the worker in a factory, or you as the business owner that may have a small mom and pop retail, or a bar, or a nightclub, or a restaurant, or the ones that really drive local economies, you weren't allowed to be open, and therefore you couldn't get any wealth because no one was coming in to buy your products because they weren't allowed to do so. So, again, with Opposite Land, with the whole identity politics from the beginning of the program, how does this make sense to anyone? The top 1% gained two-thirds of all the profits and all the wealth generating during the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, really? Because the economy took a dump in the United States, and I'm sure it did everywhere else in other countries as well, when they said that no one was working because no one could go to work. So everybody was on social programs. We were getting our stimulus checks from the government. We were getting our universal basic income, a.k.a. the child tax credits that we were getting on a monthly paycheck as well. We were getting all this from the government, and it wasn't stimulating The economy, the economy took a major dump with GDP until everybody came back to work. And the Biden administration, after yelling and screaming from the private sector for months, said, finally, the pandemic's over. You can all get back to work. And boom, the economy jumped right back up as if it never missed a beat because people were allowed to go back to work again. But if they weren't creating the wealth, they weren't gaining any wealth to reinvest into their local economies. Who was gaining from it? The top 1%. The ones that were controlling the bottom 99% under a utopian system saying what you're allowed and not 
allowed to do. The top 1% that supposedly the progressives and Democrats hate, they they were the ones gaining all of the wealth because they were the ones that didn't have to shut down. Oh, wait a second. So the whole socialism, redistribution of wealthy, ultra-rich, let's go ahead and tax them and regulate them because we don't like them. They were the ones that were allowed to benefit during the COVID-19 pandemic and make all the wealth because they were the only the, the only ones allowed to work and actually gain wealth, while we now claim that they're evil because they made all the wealth. At the same time, the vast majority of the investments that we saw at that time as well was the COVID-19 vaccine and masks and other health uh, healthcare uh, industry things, the PPP stuff, the sanitizers and the gloves and the masks and everything else that we used during that time. The people that invested and manufactured and made those things, they were making lots of money, especially the ones that were part of the patents of the COVID-19 vaccine. But that's another conversation for another time. So how in the world are we as the general common folk just going about our business doing what we're doing, how are we supposed to go along with the idea that the evil 1% are evil, but yet there's a simple reason why they made all the money? It's because they were the only ones allowed to work while we were sitting at home dependent on a government check because that's what they told us we had to do because we were quote-unquote non-essential. And it does reaffirm the fact that while it is important for us to invest in the stock market and invest in Wall Street and in Main Street to some degree in the markets for us to continue to uh, have new innovations, it shows that that itself does not actually continue the economy to grow the way that it needs to. Because if you saw during the pandemic, they invested in those things. It didn't sustain the economy until everybody finally was able to get back to work, get into the factories, start driving their trucks again, go in and open up their retail stops, uh, shops, open up their restaurants, and then boom, just like that, the economy came back up. And then, of course, you had the Biden administration say, well, we created 10 million jobs. <laughs> and that's just uh, not true in any way, shape, or form as well. So thank you again for the opinions there. But they want us to say that we need to be hating the rich 1% while they're the ones hyping up the rich 1% across the globe while they're telling us we have to stay at home and then wonder why we're not creating any wealth from our side of the aisle. They're, again creating opposite land by having some effect and saying that they want some outcome when the opposite effect actually happens, whether intended or unintended consequences they are, the rich continue to get richer under a socialist program. The working gap and the wealth gap continues to widen and the poverty rates continue to increase while they tell you to stay at home, get the government check, and we'll redistribute the wealth. Don't you worry, we're going after the evil ultra top 1% and evil rich in this nation. I don't think people are going to buy this. And if they do, then maybe they need a bit of a history lesson or just an economics lesson or just to look outside their window and see what's happened over the last couple of years. But I think that trying to pitch people the ultra 1% making all that money is a bad thing. I think it's going to make people question, well, wait a second, how did they get it? And why wasn't I able to make that? Oh, yeah, that's right, because you told me I wasn't allowed to go outside my front door, get some vitamin C from the sun and go open up my shop for the consumers in my local community to buy products from me. Oh, yeah. Darn it. That doesn't make any sense, this does it? This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason. 
with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Last few minutes of the show here on a Monday for the Voice of Reason. Trying to cram that 10 pounds reason into that 5-pound bag. Trying to bring common sense reason, rationale back into the daily conversation. And it's mind-numbing. I just had to put on, by the way, if you're watching the video feed, my if my eyes are red, I just had to put on peppermint oil around. Nice little holistic trick if you have a headache. Put some peppermint oil around your temples there and that helps get rid of the headache. But it burns your eyes. And, yeah, my, I got a headache after thinking about all the stupid that's going on on the left side of the aisle and had to make sure I do some preventative steps to make sure that doesn't grow any worse. It, it's, a, it's not a tumor. It's not a tumor. Yeah, got the headache going on. Nonetheless, so now we're here today. We have the ongoing hatred with the identity politics, the division that we have between the white, the black, and the white and the yellow, and the white and whatever other skin color they try to create as identity politics of, oh, you're white, you're probably the most evil human being on the face of the earth. If you're a white heterosexual male, then you just need to give up because you will have no chance in our world now because you've had everything forever. Instead of just looking at the individual level of where people are at in their personal lives. Now we have the World Economic Forum that's meeting and they're discussing what to do because they also recognize the fact that the top 1% of wealth earners uh, created and gained two-thirds of all the wealth that was created since the COVID-19 pandemic. The gap of wealth is dividing between the ultra-rich and the poverty line individuals. So I'm sure they're going to be talking about what to do and this is going to be the direction they push. We need to hate them. We need to redistribute. We need to take their wealth tax and regulate it. And the only way we can do that is to get more power for the government to be allowed to do that. How do we hold them accountable? Well, we create the larger government. How do we create the government accountable? Well, you're just going to have to trust us because don't worry. We totally won't take advantage of you in any way, shape, or form. We'll just give you what you are needing because we will provide for you. We also have another issue that's coming up this week that I'm sure you're going to be hearing about a lot over the next few days. And that, of course, the debt ceiling here in the nation. Because according to uh, Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, says that we are out of money by Thursday of this week. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So now we already spent a $1.7 trillion omnibus package during the holidays and uh, right around Christmas time, the week of Christmas. And already the first three weeks of January, the federal government has run out of money our federal budget doesn't end until the end of September. We have nine months left until we're out of our budget, but we're already out of money. Democrats say that cutting spending is a non-starter. I want to repeat that for you. While the government's out of money until the end of September, meaning we have to figure out how to spend and pay for our bills for the next nine months because it's all gone. It's all gone. We now have nine months to figure out how to deal with our federal budget. The government says that cutting spending is a non-starter for the federal budget. That, according to the Biden administration, as they say that they don't want to cut. So Kevin McCarthy says that we need to sit down and have a conversation, which I get it. Try and be nice. Let's work together here. Let's hold hands in kumbaya. Let's try and figure out a happy medium here. But this is what we have to do. The Biden administration has already come out openly and said, yeah, no, cutting spending is not a non-starter. We need to, what they recommend, is suspend the debt ceiling to where we can spend as much as we possibly need to throughout the rest of the year so that way we don't have any issues because they have some big spending plans on the horizon. As we've said during the big debate in battle with the speaker's vote with Kevin McCarthy was will he stand firm against Democrats when they propose a massive spending bill or a new project or a new department or new agency or whatever else they're going to do? Will he be able to stop it and fight for it and be willing to shut down the government? Well, that debate has come sooner than what we anticipated. 
Now, the Treasury Department says they can maneuver around and do some extreme maneuvering, is their words, to be able to get us through and pay our debts minimally until summertime. While they advocate for a debt ceiling raise or a debt ceiling suspension in some way, shape, or form. They can at least get it through until summertime, which, okay, cool, we have a little bit of time to discuss. There's nothing to discuss. What needs to happen, and we mentioned it on Friday as this news broke, but it's not going to happen. Bit of a pipe dream for us. I totally get it. The real rational thing we need to be doing is completely suspend the $1.7 trillion omnibus package, look at it again, actually cut it by, you know, a half or three quarters or something, and then present it and repass it and say starting February 1st is going to be a new omnibus package going into the rest of the year that's not going to completely drain all of our funds for the next nine months into the end of fiscal year 2023. It's unlikely that's going to happen, but that's what needs to happen. Republicans stay firm because your next first big challenge is right in front of us. Will we be willing to shut down the government until the Democrats cave and actually start looking at a budget and cutting some funding from the federal government? Because if not, we're in for a long nine months of battling with Democrats on raising the debt ceiling and spending a hell of a lot more money that's going to cause an economic disaster. That does it for us today. Podcast up in just a little bit. Until then, be your own voice of reason. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth. And always speak some reason. This is the Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.